0: Welcome to our April 2023 Empower Women podcast episode, Women in Retirement. This month, we were joined by Sharon Carson, a Retirement Insights Strategist at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. In this episode, Sharon discussed creating a plan for the retirement you want, understanding social security timing trade-offs and healthcare coverage decisions, creating a long-term care plan and having cash now and the confidence to invest for later. Enjoy. All right. So welcome, everybody, to our April Empower Women. Um, I'm very excited about this uh, topic today. It's something that, um, you know, we focus on a lot with um, the clients that we work closely with. And um, it's uh, great to have Sharon Carson here from J.P. Morgan um, Sharon uh, has a lot of experience and expertise in retirement planning. She is uh, the retirement strategist for J.P. Morgan. She has um, a couple of designations around um, retirement. She is a retirement management analyst and a certified retirement plan counselor. Um, Sharon has prepared a really uh, uh, detailed and uh, informative and helpful presentation for everyone today. Um, And as always, uh, you know, we encourage attendees to speak up if you have a question or if there's something in particular that you're hoping to cover today, um, because these events are for you so that um, we can answer your questions and so we can all learn together. Um, so please feel free to use the chat, um, or, you know, share at the beginning what you're hoping to, um, learn about today. Um, and with that, I will pass it
1: to Sharon. Hi, thank you so much. Really happy to be here. We have a small group, so hopefully we get some, uh, questions. That's, that's great. Um, I'll go ahead and share my screen so you can take a look at our agenda for today. We'll be using our some slides from our JP Morgan's Guide to Retirement. Um, and with, with the agenda, there's four parts. Uh, first is women control significant and increasing wealth. Women are or will be the primary financial decision maker. Importance of a retirement plan for women. And where we're gonna spend most of our time is on what you can actually do about these things. Checklist for retirement preparedness. So with that, I'll jump right into the number one women control significant and increasing wealth. Um, So going from 2020 to 2030, a lot of money in motion going from women to uh, men control or women men control to women controlled wealth. Um, You can see women in 2020 control about 31 percent of the wealth. But by the end of this decade, not that far away, we're going to control well more than half. Uh, so there, there is that. One of the reasons for this, we are an aging population, and um, there's a lot more uh, of us who, for one reason or another, are not necessarily married when we get older, and 65-plus uh, uh, women tend to outlive men, and also uh, men are much more likely to be remarried. So the proportion of women who are actually married is less than half once you get to 65 plus. So if you're not the primary financial decision maker now, uh, there's a good chance that you will be at some point uh, along the way. And women, a lot of women lack confidence. Um, This is really the importance of the plan um, that, you know, if you don't have a plan, how are you gonna know how you are? How are you gonna have that confidence? And that's where you know a good financial advisor can really help you with that plan and getting prepared. Um, importance of the plan, actually fewer than half. Uh some in some cases, uh, for divorced and never married women, it's just over a little over a third, have actually prepared a plan. So and all all workers say, you know, only four, you know, a little over four and ten have have actually prepared a retirement plan. So important to do. Um, I have heard that people can sometimes spend more time planning their vacation than planning for their retirement. So of course the vacation sounds like uh, more immediate and a little more fun. So what's the checklist? Um, This does look a little long, but I will say you can break it up into chunks. You don't have to do everything at once. Um, also you know you can make a very rough plan and refine it and and do more later so the important thing is to get started and the first one is just something mainly to keep in mind as you do your plan it's not really anything that you have to do um, is planning for the the long life Um, because you might live longer than you think Uh, number two Uh, create that plan for the retirement you want. And like I said, it could be a rough plan to begin with, and then you can really refine it from there. If you haven't already made an informed decision about Social Security, uh, that's a really good thing to do. I'll just present some very basic information, just touching on that. But really, I would suggest um, if you're close to making that decision, getting that uh, help from an advisor who can run your specifics will be super helpful. Decide on a long-term care strategy. I think in your 50s is really a great time to to do that and very important. Understand rising healthcare costs uh, because there are two things that we tend to spend more on uh, as we age in in retirement and healthcare is one of them. Uh, The other is charitable gifts and contributions. And of course, that's very discretionary. That's easier to control. Most other things we actually spend less on as we get older. So that can make it a little bit easier. But thinking about those healthcare costs, how are you going to get there? One of the ways to get there is to think about your different, I've got be tax diversified. It's really, where are you putting your money? Are you taking the best advantage of the tax advantaged accounts? Um, and then aligning your objective with your outcome really means how are you going to fund your retirement? How are you going to how are you going to align your portfolio to give you the pay? You can think of it as an income stream that you need uh, to sustain your lifestyle. And understanding loss aversion and staying invested is important for women. There are some women who are very comfortable taking risk, but as a whole, um, generalizing, uh, some women are much more uh, loss averse and worried about investing. So just some, some ideas around that to help you uh, make it over the long-term a lot better. So you can uh, have a a good long-term plan and a good long-term view. And with this, uh, the life expectancy probabilities, I actually wanna show the women are here are in purple and the men are in gray. Uh, This, I do have a same-sex couple version as well. So I'll get to that in a second, uh, which is new this year. So this one is um, for the women in purple. This is if you're 65 today, because the longer you live, the longer you live because you have survived so far. So your life expectancy keeps extending the older that you get. And here we're showing non-smokers in excellent health is the light shading. So the men are in the dark blue and then, or they're sorry, the couples are in the dark blue and then the um, one or the other of a couple. This is a male, female couple. And then both members of a couple are in the light blue. And the top shading is the non-smokers in excellent health. So for example, non-smoker in excellent health, female, more than a 50% chance you're gonna live to 90 or longer if you made it to 65. For a couple, you know, male, female, there's like a 73% chance one of you is going to make it past 90 and almost uh, a quarter of you, one or the other. Uh, And that's for those non-smokers. But even if you're in between there, um, you know, the average health and the non-smokers in excellent health, you can see there's pretty good odds that you are going to live a pretty long life. Um, And genetics is not destiny. And I think in my family, we have a, a great example of that. Uh, years and years ago, my husband was saying, my beloved Aunt Jay, she's in Rhode Island. Uh, he went up to see her from, he lived in Long Island, but they went up to, the kids got to go up to Rhode Island and visit Aunt Jay away from the parents, which was always a treat. Um, very beloved. And he said, oh, I don't think she's going to live that much longer. She has heart disease, everybody in the family has heart disease. She's the oldest living member of her family. And this was probably, I don't know, 20 years ago now. Well, I tell you what, November 7th has become a very important date, the last three years. Um, You must go see Aunt Jay, because Aunt Jay turned 100, 101, and 102. (laughs) <laughs> I think when he was telling me she was the oldest member of her family with heart disease, she was in her eighties. <laughs> it wasn't going to make it that much longer. And she's still kicking. She still knows who you are. She's still mentally there. And she's still in kicking at 102. Uh, so, you know, there's just new medical technologies, right? Heart disease is one that the medical community in particular has made tremendous progress on and they're working on cancers and other things. So, Uh, Don't don't count on medical technology to bail you out. You can get your personalized longevity um, estimate with the longevityillustrator.org. It's run by the Society of Actuaries. It's down there in the footnote. So you can get your own, put in your own health status and smoking status, however you're a couple or whatever, and and you can maybe see how long, uh, you know, what your life expectancy might look like. I mentioned we also have this for same-sex couples where... Here, at least one of a female couple is the is the bar on the left in the dark purple. Both of a female couple there is in the dark blue. So, and then the excellent health is on top again. So, wow! Like female couples, good chance one of you is going to live a very long time, and um, even both of you living a long time, you know, even a higher chance of course since women live longer than men. So. Um, you know, we, we, this is a new chart this year to do the, the same sex couples for those of you who that applies. And the, the longevity illustrator will let you uh, model that as well. Or if you're single, it'll let you model that. So, whatever your circumstance. So, you have this really long life. What are you going to do with all this time? Right. And this is where it comes to that encore, right? right. Is it, are you going to work or volunteer? Um, you know, having that sense of purpose is really important for your plan, you know? And it also is gonna make a difference for your money. Are you gonna mainly focus on grandkids and volunteering locally? Are you gonna work for some pay of some type Um, that makes a difference financially? Are you gonna go skiing and travel the world? Then you need the travel budget. So those types of decisions will impact your financial plan. But how do you be happy Right. Is having that purpose, using time to work, help others go to events, participate in activities, find something you like to do. That's not just sitting on the couch, watching TV, socialize with friends and family, spend time with others, practice healthy behaviors, express gratitude and focus on the strength. So you can't do everything you used to do. I know I used to play basketball. Those days are over, uh, but now I can do hike or go other thing, do other things. So, um yeah, I think the last time I tried to play, uh, the horse had to be game, which is you know you spell out the letters had to be shortened to pig because neither my husband nor I could make any baskets. Right, so that's <laughs> pretty sad. <laughs> we don't focus on that. We focus on the things we can still do. That's how you have the successful uh, experience in retirement. So think about not just the money, but the but the life, and they're they're going to be tied together. Uh, the next one is really create that plan that you want from a financial perspective as well. And what I'm going to show you on the next page or right here is really what I would call the old-fashioned paper map. This is the sort of, are you even in the vicinity of being ready for retirement if you're not already retired? So your current age is down the left and your household income is across the top. Let's say you're 40, you make $100,000. Oh, there's a 2.5% percent or 2.5 multiplier there. Well, 2.5 times hundred thousand, I did this to keep it easy for myself, $250,000 to have saved so far to be on track for a similar lifestyle in retirement. Now, I call it the old-fashioned paper map because it's very, very rough. It depends on all those model assumptions we have on the right. You know, we didn't actually do the multiplication for you because we didn't want you to make, we didn't want you to think it was super exact because it's not, Um, especially with this, right? We're assuming you're saving 10% going forward. If you are saving more than that, the amount you will have need to have saved so far will be less. And the younger you are, the more true that is, right? We have a pre retirement and a post retirement portfolio, we've assumed an inflation rate, a primary earner and a spouse. And 35 years in retirement. If this is different for you, this is where the financial advisor really comes in and personalizes it, puts in your savings rate, your portfolio, your planned social security age. And if you don't have all the answers, that's okay. You can make some assumptions. It still can be a rough plan, probably a little more accurate than this, but it's a Jeep G- The nice thing about it is GPS, right? You put in Main street of a town to start with. And then, oh, here's the exact address. You can refine it as you go. You hit the pothole, you need to take the detour, your car breaks down, something happens, the GPS can reposition and get you back on track. So that's really the key with your financial plan with your financial advisor. So this is just the quick and dirty because everybody likes to do the quick and dirty and know where they stand. But I would highly um, recommend that you get it personalized with an advisor. If you don't have that already, it's a tremendous value. Part of that plan that if you're close to retirement and you haven't taken your social security yet um, is when are you going to take it? And there are some timing trade-offs. We say make an informed decision because we don't say take it early and we don't say take it late. We don't say either of those things. We say make an informed decision. So, this is just some basics that I'll run through, right? If you're born 1954 or earlier and you waited till 70 or you to take your benefit, you could get almost an extra third. So, now you do have to wait for that. So, there's a cost, right? There's that opportunity cost that you had to wait, but your benefit will be bigger you took it early, you're gonna get a 25% reduction if you took it all the way at age 62, right? Between your full retirement age, which would have been 66, increasing 8% per year till you reach 70. That's moving that what they call full retirement age where you get 100% of your benefit is moving two months every year with your birth year. till you get down to the bottom there, you born 1960 or later. Um, That that one applies to me. So for me, if I wait to 70, I'm going to get almost an extra quarter of my benefit. My full retirement age where I get 100% of my benefit is going to be age 67. If I take it at 62, they're going to take more than a third. I'm only going to get 70% of my benefit. This is a benefit cut that was phased in over a 40-year time frame, right? So when they Change Social Security to make it more financially viable, they tend to do it really, really gradually. This was a benefit cut passed in 1983. It's finally the final phase of it is being phased in for younger workers. So younger workers tend to get be the ones also that get hit with benefit cuts. Politicians don't like to cut benefits for older people who are already taking their benefits. That's like, um, I think there's a reason why that's called the third rail of politics because there's a lot of older voters and and they do tend to vote. So um, (laughs) you you will die if you touch that (laughs) or it just doesn't go anywhere. So tends to be for your kids, grandkids, if you're younger, do you need to save more to make up in potential shortfalls for social security? maybe so. If you're close to that benefit age in making this decision, probably not, right? You can probably look at this and say, okay, I can probably count on these types of benefits. So that's social security. You want to personalize with you if you have a spouse, coordinating all that. Once again, the value of a financial advisor there, um, taking into account your own personal situation is really uh, important. Sharon, we have a
0: question in the chat about um, thoughts on the full retirement age, Mm -hmm. for people who were born in 1960 or later, if that Mm -hmm. might, I mean, I know this is more of a political question, but is there, are you having these discussions about that potentially
1: happening? That that often comes up uh, and I think it's a possibility um, You know, I think that there will be some fights against that. Frankly, when you look at life expectancy, lower income people um, die sooner. And so if you start messing around with the moving out the Social Security age further, that can disadvantage some lower income workers. So maybe they could do that if they sort of sweetened it up for low income workers even more than they have today. I mean, it's already... Compared to what you were making when you're working, it's already very progressive type of system that looks after the lower income workers more. That's that's a possibility, but I don't think that they're going to move it, you know, within a few years of you making this decision. Like if you're close to 62, I don't think you really need to worry about it much. But if you're if you're 10 years away, it's a possibility. I think the the biggest likelihood is uh, one of the things that they may do is they may raise the cap on the payroll taxes. So we may end up paying more, the higher earners would pay more in payroll taxes. Generally speaking, most of the proposals that tend to get the most support tend to be more on younger people and higher earners. So if you are a really high earner, you're younger, you may need to save more. Um, and it could be a benefit cut by moving out the full retirement age, or it could just be another form of benefit cut. So I think particularly for younger people, they, there is a there is a gap they'll need to make up if, if the trust fund goes to zero, which I don't think it will. Um, the, when their backs are against the wall, we'll have to deal with it and they will. Um, but, you know, the, the, if they do let that happen, there would be a gap of, of like a quarter of the benefits that they would have to make up because the payroll taxes will take care of the other three quarters. So realize, you know, even even if Armageddon happened in that very unlikely scenario, they'd actually let the trust fund, you know, uh, completely go away, which I don't like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. But if it did, they don't have to they don't have to make up everybody's benefits. We still are working, paying payroll taxes. So keep. you have to keep uh, that in perspective. Um so, you know, I would say young, 55-ish or younger, you should be more concerned. The younger you are, the more concerned you need to be, you know, and um, the younger and the more money you make, probably the the more you need to add up your savings to make up for some shortfalls, I would say, or cuts. So if that answered the question.
0: Yeah, that's the that question.
1: That's the most common one that, it's a common question that we get around Social Security. Um And then uh, another thing that you eventually want to get in your plan, not necessarily you have to get everything in the plan all at once in the beginning, but eventually you'd want to get in there. What's your plan for long-term care? Because disability incidents, incidents does increase with age. I'm looking at this with my own parents and my husband's parents right now, and it's you know, you can just see it happening. Um, you know, the the good news is fewer than half the people ninety years old have this. Um, you know, need significant help, which is great. But the the bad news is almost half do who are, and and it just as you get older, this tends to happen. Um, who tends to care? Because <laughs> my husband was was out with his parents for about three or four weeks helping them. Um, you know, adult child is surprisingly, my mom takes care of my dad. So we have both, but surprisingly, at least with the survey data that was in the journal of financial planning, at least more adult children say they do caregiving than spouses. This was a big shocker to me. I would have thought it would have been more spouse. Um, so, you know, this is something that, you know, do you want your child to plan for? And now, luckily my husband's parents you know, if they sell their house, they'll have enough funds to, to get other help, which is what's happening now. But, you know, how long is that going to last? Well, for women, it tends to last longer than men. And, the, uh, you know, if that's if you use paid care, not everyone uses paid care. Um, and then down at the bottom, you know, how much is it going to cost? It can be a significant cost. Some people, a quarter of people who use paid care, maybe it's just a few hours a week. To supplement, and then others, you know, have larger expenses. So it's really can be all over the map. So, how do you get a plan for this, right? This is pretty daunting. Um, And I would say there is no silver bullet, and there's not just one answer, and there's not one answer that's right for everybody, but there might be multiple answers. And there might be multiple answers that even one individual can tap. So what are some of the options? Family and friends certainly can provide some assistance or help coordinate care. And that's what happens a lot of times. Savings may fund paid care. Some expenses such as travel may go down. This is true for my parents, used to have that big travel budget, went all over the world. Right before the pandemic, they squeezed in a big trip to Antarctica that was expensive, right? Now that my mom is a caregiver, they don't have the travel expenses anymore. So thinking about, you know, what expenses aren't you going to have anymore that could help fund the care? Insurance. Traditional long-term care insurance. Combination life and annuity products. If you're married, is there insurance for the surviving spouse? If you use the funds to help care for the first spouse, is there funds left for the surviving spouse? Is that a life insurance? Is there a combination annuity life insurance product? So there's different types of products that a financial advisor may be able to help you uh, evaluate. There's life plan communities. Um, These you need to, um, there are some assisted living facilities, which are different. You go into those when you need care, but there's also life plan where you go in when you're healthy, like my aunt and uncle did. Um, They're still in the independent living part. They have their own apartment, they do their own cooking but they're so involved with the community they play music for people they take photographs take walks um they help other residents with their computers like they they do all of this and they've been so happy there but they know when they get age into needing other types of care it's already there for them and they know the community and they'll be comfortable there so that might be funded by perhaps a home equity selling a home you realize that you know this may be sort of um dependent on home prices when you when you need make these decisions. Um, but home equity can potentially fund some care. That's how my my husband's parents are funding their move to assisted living is is selling their house. So Medicaid, the rules you generally have to spend down a lot of your assets. There is the five year look back if you give the assets away. Um, it can be hard to qualify. It's different in different states. If you have questions about that, you really need to talk to an elder care attorney. I think it's it's not something that, um, that I can really speak to very much. But, you know, so also savings in the health savings account can help or however, you know, different savings vehicles. So you can think about combining some of these things. Maybe you don't have to ensure the total cost. Maybe some of it can come from savings or your expenses go down. Some of it can come from home equity. So you can patch together a plan with maybe multiple options, and maybe insurance is just one of them, right? So there might be multiple things that you can do here when you look at long-term care. And then um, I want to move from another type of healthcare, long-term care, to what if you retire before you're, you know, how are you going to fund the rest of your health care that's not long-term care your ongoing medical expenses for those of you who want to retire before you're 65 you have different options um you might be able to get coverage from a spouse's plan there might your former employer the, whatever plan that you have you might be able to switch to uh, group retiree coverage from their employer Cobra coverage uh, potentially which, is this uh you, you have to pay the full cost? You don't get the you don't get the employer subsidy. You might be surprised at how much your employer is subsidizing and how much it costs. You you can actually plus a minute administration fee, but usually available for 18 months. In some cases, it can be available for longer. You might be able to convert to an individual policy um, or get a marketplace plan, you know, at least um. Well, at least through last year, actually, I think I need to update this slide. I think it, I think the subsidies are still pretty strong this year, but eventually those bigger subsidies for those marketplace plans uh, could be going down. But if you're curious as to whether or not you qualify, that Kaiser Family Foundation subsidy calculator is a great place uh, to figure out if you qualify for uh, a subsidy on those types of plans. So you do have different options. Um, but then how, you then you come to, OK, if I'm on Medicare, how much is that going to cost? Um, and how do I get Medicare? How do I sign up? What are my options? And even if you're already on it, um, you need to reevaluate your drug drug coverage every year. Right. Or re- if you're on like what's called Medicare Advantage, you got to reevaluate that plan every year. Well, first, you got to sign up for A and B. If you signed up for Social Security, you're already on Part A. But if you're not on Social Security, you need to get your hospital insurance, which is free if you've paid into the system, and Part B, which is for doctor visits, tests, outpatient hospital, anything in the doctor's office. So that's the first thing, number one. Uh, Number two, you got to pick your plan. Uh, Original Medicare or Medicare Advantage. Original Medicare, Basically, um, here, you can choose any doctor that takes Medicare. So if you really want your choice of doctors, you don't want to be in a network. You don't want to have to get the referrals to specialists. You live in two parts of the country, like you live in Massachusetts for half the time, Florida for half the time. You want original Medicare because that's the one that's going to allow you to, to get doctors across different parts of the country. And then you need to get the drug plan the D for drug plan. And um, you'd have to, if you want vision, dental, and hearing coverage, you're going to have to buy that separately. So it's sort of a piecemeal approach. Medicare Advantage is your other option. It's your option number two. Um, It's usually limited to a network. In some areas of the country, the networks are really good and the doctors are really good. In other cases, that's not so much the case. So you kind of have to look Will my doctor take it? What plans do they accept? Where can I go if I need a specialist? That's your Medicare advantage. Um, really important to think about. Um, with the first option, you get something called a supplemental plan, which is means in addition to, or it's also called Medigap. It covers gaps in the original Medicare. That can help you fill in It's expensive though, those Medigap plans can be expensive, but they can fill in those co-pays and deductibles and keep your costs, at least they limit how much you're gonna have to pay. Medicare Advantage doesn't, you cannot get that supplemental policy. So you're going to have probably lower cost in total, but more out of pocket costs. And there, you know, the out of pocket costs are, can. Can really be significant if you need a lot of care. Now they'll be lower because you got the network rate, so it's a trade off, right? You're you're going to have to be prepared for some of those out of pocket costs with Medicare Advantage, and you may get some vision, dental, and uh, other types of benefits. It depends on the plan. And then three, I think I've already mentioned this, out of pocket. Drug costs aren't. Neither of these options cover out-of-pocket drug expenses, but we're getting a little bit more relief from that um, lately, as that uh, some of those costs get filled in by Medicare a little bit more. But you still have out-of-pocket drug expenses, and Medicare doesn't cover the long-term care that we talked about before this, for the most part. So, you know, medic, there's no question. My husband's parents need assisted living, but Medicare is covering zero of that. So um, that's. And if you need help, there's a couple of sources, medicarerights.org, shiptacenter.org. These organizations can help you um, through some of these options. So there are some, uh, but sign up early, Um, don't wait so you don't get a gap in coverage. Uh, Really you wanna sign up the month before the month you turn 65 to avoid coverage gaps. So that's with Medicare how much is this all this going to cost you, right? This is the original Medicare where I talk about traditional Medicare. So this is the one where you piece together all the parts and you can see particularly how expensive the, the Medigap plan can get. Although um, it may not go up as much if you're in Massachusetts, um, as we've shown on the chart, this is sort of a national average. And a lot of states those gap plans can increase in cost with age, but that may not be the case um, in all states. So it just depends on your state. Um, But there's that one that's expensive. You got out of pocket drugs, Part B premiums, Medicare funding. We talked about Social Security funding, but Medicare funding, frankly, is in much worse shape and it's much harder to fix than Social Security funding. So this is more worrisome, at least I think so. So you've got this five hundred dollars a month that with all the parts that could more than triple by the time you're at the end of your retirement, this really means you cannot sit in cash, right? You are not going to keep up with this increased health care. About one percent of this cost is because you use more care as you get older. So you got a higher inflating good. you use more as you get older, which we mentioned earlier. Um, so this can get really expensive. You need to put it in your plan. Um these are significant expenses that, you know, just continue uh, with you. Uh, unlike some of your other expenses may fall off. Maybe your mortgage fee falls off. You don't have to commute it for work anymore, things like that, but this will keep growing, unfortunately. And for some of you, you're gonna pay even more uh, because, you will have to pay what's known as surcharges. Actually, the government heavily subsidizes um, the drugs and the Part B. Uh, This is reduction of those subsidies and they call them surcharges. You hit a dollar over any of these levels of modified adjusted gross income, which for this purpose (laughs) is your adjusted gross income plus your um, uh, non-taxable interest. Uh, like a government bond, so you have to add that back in. So it's your AGI plus that, plus that uh, non-taxable interest type of money. You go over these thresholds, you are going to be paying these surcharges and these are per month per person. So this can get very significant. And the thing I wanna highlight is if you're part of a couple, notice that the levels where you have to start paying these, it's about half for singles as it is what it is for couples on every level, except the top one. Which means if you have a surviving spouse at the end, more often female, that surviving spouse is gonna be much more likely to be hit by these surcharges than a couple is. Filing single. So watch out for this. For surviving spouses, your tax rate might go up and your Medicare surcharges might go up. So, couples are much less likely to be affected unless they have significant pensions or work or rental income or something like that, or they do a big Roth conversion, which I'll talk about in a minute. But so that's it's really more of a concern for singles. And the next one I want to talk about is being tax-diversified really ties into this. Because if you take money out of a retirement plan, that is what's called a traditional retirement plan, that can that can be taxed at ordinary income tax rates. And let's just take a look at that next, actually. Where is that? Yes, I do have that slide. So Uncle Sam wants their cut. So let's just go right to the top where I was before. Pre-tax 401k or traditional IRAs. Uncle Sam says, I'm going to give you a tax break up front. So that's the plus for the contributions. It's tax advantage from a contributions perspective. I'm not going to tax your investment growth, but it's a minus when you take it out. It's not taxed advantage anymore. And we have taxed at ordinary income. What does that mean? That means you take that money out of that 401k or IRA. It is going to be taxed the same as if you earned that by working. So you take $20,000 out. It's just as if you had a job and you earned $20,000. So that's the way that the, you, you got the tax break all along when you were working though, which is really good. And you got the tax break up front, right? The Roth is the other way around. Uncle Sam says, I'm not giving you a tax break right now while you're working, I'm gonna give you a tax break in retirement when you take it out, right? The investment growth, we're not gonna tax along the way as long as you don't take it out when you're not, you know, before you're 59 and a half and all that. Um, But, and when you withdraw it, we're not gonna tax you. HSAs is the bottom, the, the, the one in the middle is a little less common, you can talk, if, you, if you've if already done all your Roth and you want to do even more, you can talk to your financial advisor about doing the non-deductible, but I want to stick to the basics here. The health savings account is the best thing ever from a tax perspective, if you use it for qualified health expenses, because they don't tax you up front, they don't tax you along the way, you take it out for qualified health expenses at the end, and it's, voila, well, uh, you can take it out without taxes. So it's beautiful, but you have to have a qualifying health plan. Not just a high deductible plan, but a plan that's qualifying. If you work for a big company, if you have one, if you have a qualified plan, they probably paired it with an HSA already. So that's uh, the lay of the land here. And just think about the, that free tax money coming out. Right, and if that comes out, is it is it is it better to do more of that when you're working, or is it better to do more of the Roth? Well, it really depends, right? If you're young, and um, actually, I should pause here see if there's any questions on this. Okay, so we did have
0: a sorry, Sharon, we did have a question about mm-hmm. um, SEP IRAs and how they are taxed. Um, and the question was if they're taxed like 401ks,
1: I I believe they are. So I think there's going to be a new option for a Roth, I think, but if they're going to be traditional, right, they're, they're going to be taxed the same as the, as the traditional, unless they're Roth retirement accounts, unless you're putting, you're getting the tax deduction up front, they're going to tax it at your ordinary income rates when it comes out. If they're not taxing you, um, you're not getting a tax break up front. You're going to get the tax break at the end. So just think about it as if I get the, you know, you get the tax break at least on the investment growth, regardless. But if you're getting the tax break up front, you're not, you're not, you're not going to get the tax break at the end. They're going to take it out at ordinary income tax rates. So which one should you do? The general rule is, hey, if you're young, and maybe this applies to your kids. that You don't pay a lot in taxes because you don't make that much yet. You expect to earn more later. The R for rule here is contribute to a Roth early in your career. It's a great opportunity before your tax rates go up later in your life. But if you're like me, there was no Roth when I was young. <laughs> when I was young, there was no such thing as Roth. Um, one day I looked up and I said, holy cow, I have nothing in my brokerage, almost very little. I've got everything in my pre-tax or traditional, you know, like 401k. I did a really good job there, but I don't have any Roth because there there, it wasn't. I didn't even have the choice to to do it. Um, I'm gonna get killed with taxes in retirement. Very much, you don't want all of your money. Like if you're like 85, 80 percent, like. 90%, 90%, you know, in, in just a taxable account, when you get to retirement, that's gonna be a big tax burden in retirement. You're going have more control over your taxes that you pay if you have different types of accounts when you get in retirement. So maybe you wanna, you know, especially if you're very, very tax deferred heavy, you might wanna have some other types of accounts, maybe start doing some Roth, even if you're in a relatively high tax bracket. It's harder to do if you're in the top bracket, But you can start thinking about, you know, if I'm super tax deferred heavy, how do I diversify that a little bit? The second possibility, though, if you're going to retire before those required minimum distribution start, which now is moving out, right? That retirement distribution age is is moving out to 72 to 75, depending on how old you are. Like those, like you're 64 or older, it's going to be all the way, to, you know. You're 70 70 um five. So that's you have a long time to potentially change your pre-tax accounts into Roth accounts. You do that by paying the taxes. They call that a conversion. And I'd say here's where once again a financial advisor can really help you because they can help you. Does this make sense for you? Right. And how much should you do? Probably just up to the next tax bracket. A couple of pitfalls, right? If you You know, you don't want to pay Medicare surcharges, so having too much in the pre-tax can throw you into having to pay those surcharges, particularly if you're single, once you do hit those required minimum distributions. But, you know, if you do a huge conversion, you might, and you're over 65, you might actually start tipping into some of those surcharges. This is why you want the advice of a good advisor to say, does this make sense and how much and over what time period? How many years do you want to do that over? Do you want to move some money from one type of account to the other? Um, this is thinking about how are you going to fund your retirement? If you have enough money that, uh, that you know you maybe you have a pension or very low spending, you don't need to worry about it so much. You can just focus on increasing your wealth that's great. Some people say, I want to preserve my principal. I only want to live off my income, capital appreciation and dividends. If so, your advisor is going to need to position your account to be able to do that. Um, You got to be careful not to stretch for yield. It's really, it doesn't really matter though, because it's all fungible at the end of the day. If you're taking $40,000 out, it doesn't matter if it's Interest, or it's your capital. If it's your appreciation, or if it's your principal, if you're taking forty thousand out, you're taking forty thousand out. All of like your investments can still go up and down in value. So it's really the amount that you're taking out is important. There is no shame to spending some of your principal in a safe and controlled way. There is no shame in it. If you need to spend quite a bit of your principal um, and the market just had a big downturn, you can, if you can spend a little less, that would help, not buy the new car right after that. Um, some annuities can help or a combination of both. But talking to your financial, having your conversation with your advisor, what are your expectations? Do you want to, are you just going to feel better psychologically if you preserve your principal? Are, are you okay spending some of your principal? How do you get comfortable with that? have this conversation with your advisor. There are ways to spend down principal safely where you won't get into trouble. So, um, and you can take legacy goals and all of that into account. And then um, next is really thinking about your money. And this is this part, you're gonna, you have those healthcare costs, you're going to need to be invested. How, what are you using that money for? seniors, even people in retirement, need to have an emergency fund. Um, they can have health care expenses come up, those out-of-pocket costs that we mentioned, their house repairs, particularly if you live in an older house, right? That could be in cash and cash equivalents, and retirees usually have that pretty well covered. We, we've seen a lot of retirees have some good cash balances. Usually, that's not an issue. Medium-term goals College savings or a home further out. You want to be more invested, longer-term goals. You want to have a diversified portfolio faced off against those longer-term goals. Money doesn't have to be in three different accounts. Money doesn't know what account it's in. It's all fungible. Um, But thinking about your money this way can help. Because if the market goes down, you can say, oh, I've got a really long time for that. Over the long term, like these 10, 20 rolling year periods, the market tends to do pretty well. It's the short-term that is the problem where the market can really gyrate up and down, but in the short run, I've got some cash, I'm covered off against my short-term needs. I've got some more conservative things, I've got ways to handle that. So thinking about your money that way, whether you're working or in retirement, can help you stay invested for those longer-term goals. And, Uh, Some women, not all, but some can be rather loss averse. They're they're, um, worried about the market. And just for everybody, women or or not, losses hurt. They can actually physically hurt, right? It's painful. Losses hurt more than gains feel good. But what you need to do is not jump in and out of the market. You got to get a place where you're comfortable and you can stick with it. Because let's take a look next at if for that part of your money that you have invested, if you had invested over the last 20 years, and we've been doing this chart since I came to the firm um, in I think it was 2006, right? Or uh, yeah, 2012, 2012. So a long time, as long as we've been doing the guide, we've been doing this chart. We've run it after market declines. It never changes the story. The percentage changes a little, but the story is always the same. Over 20 years, regardless, um, it looks like this. Essentially, you keep that money, that $10,000 invested, it turns into over 60000 In this case, the last 20 years, almost 65000 a 10% return. We'd all take that any day of the week for those long-term goals. You miss the 10 best days of the market, you're cutting your return almost in half, and it just gets worse and worse the more best days you miss. One of the questions that I sometimes get on this is, well, what if I just missed the worst days? The problem with that is missing just the worst days, when are those worst days gonna be? You don't know in advance. And the other problem with it is you have to know when to get back in the market. Seven of the 10 best days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst. So you have to be clairvoyant. You have to be right twice. You have to know when to get out and you have to know when to get back in. Well, the second worst day of 2020, March 12th, was immediately followed by the second best day of the year. It's almost impossible. You have to be good enough to know when to get back out. Out, you have to know, know when to get back in, which might be the very next day, pretty much impossible to do. So for those long-term goals, it's really key, keep up with inflation over the long-term, stay invested in the amount you're gonna be comfortable for for the long-term, regardless of the markets. Um, and with that, I would love to take more questions. Um, thank you so much for your time and the questions that we've had so far. I have a question. Um, to the last point that you were making, do you still feel that way when people are very elderly? Um, I'm thinking of my in-laws as an example. My father-in-law is 97 with a pretty advanced dementia. My mother-in-law is 90 with dementia. Both are on claim for their long-term care policies, but it's covering a fraction of what their long-term care costs actually are and their financial advisor does have them invested in equities and and some bonds, but, and the equities I suppose are are, are, quote, considered lower risk. But when people are very elderly, do you still believe that there's a place for them to be invested in the market? That really depends. Um, It's gonna depend on the individual situation. So legacy goal is a long-term goal. Um, so that would uh potentially argue more for equities. Um hard to say how long they're gonna live and how they're gonna fund the you know the rest of their life. Um so without knowing the particulars of their particular situation, it's very hard for me to say. Um you know that's that's just that's just gonna depend. But I do think if you have some equity if that is the right thing for you, it still stands for whatever percentage of your portfolio that is, is going to be detrimental to jump in and out based on markets. So you need to decide what's the right amount to have regardless of the market going up and down like crazy. And um, like what is the appropriate percentage? And, and if the market goes down or you're worried about the market, you don't want to be pulling that money out, right? You could potentially just decimate that last bit of money that they have left by pulling in and out. So that would definitely be a, a bad thing. I can't speak to whether they really should have equity or not and how much they should have. <laughs> so I think of, um, that's somebody I I can't I can't I can't do that. But I, I would. The only thing I can really say is you know you need to have the appropriate amount and then not not pull in and out. So it's possible. It might be appropriate for them to have some some equities, but I can't I can't say for sure without knowing more details about them and probably more personal than. Plus, it's sort of getting out of my <laughs> out of my area a little bit. The, the advisors on the call might be able to answer a little bit better than that. So. Thank you.
0: Any other questions
1: from the group?
0: Well, Sharon, I can't even <laughs> come up with the words to um, <laughs> express how important this discussion is. Um, you know, I think uh, you know everyone can benefit from, you know the points that you touched on today. Um, I love how, I, you know, I think it's helpful, some of the things you point out from, you know, the perspective of a woman to think about. Um, so much of what we do as advisors is, um, you know, based around planning because, you know, it's the most important thing is having a strategy that um, is based on what the client needs their investments to do. And these are all questions that, you know, we need to um, have answers for so thank you thank you so much we hope you enjoyed this episode to listen to past podcasts episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events visit our website empower-women.com we also invite you to join us on may 9th for our next empower women event roadmap for aging well Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.